Hi, this is Helena Brook, already wearing tank tops and shorts here in sunny Arizona in 2022. And you're listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Wendy Sheridan, and this is The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, I'm Robin Renee. Thank you so much for joining us for episode 118. This season, we've been exploring the many aspects of freedom. We've talked about romantic and sexual freedom, freedom from addiction, freedom from want and fear, and other aspects of this very many-faceted concept and experience. And in our featured interview today, we have Helena Brooke, who approaches freedom from another angle, and that is our freedom, or the lack thereof, to work within our state systems to get important bills passed in the legislature, and how, you know, the, the workings behind that. She's coming from it from the perspective of a counselor, or of a therapist, mm-hmm. and it's, it's interesting. I definitely learned a lot in our conversation, so I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, me too. And considering the kinds of crazy bills that are getting passed by state legislatures, we really need this information desperately. Yes. But before we get to the interview, we're going to have an Ikigai segment to share. And we're going to be talking about the first of the five pillars of Ikigai, which is starting small. Nice. So how are you, Wendy? (sighs) I I don't know. I'm here. I'm. Uh, I'm awake. I. I've been here and noticed. awake. That's a start. <laughs> yeah, I, it's. It's actually an accomplishment. Been. Uh, I've been doing a bunch of art and starting my spring cleaning because I realized earlier this winter I haven't really done like a really deep clean of this house since the beginning of the pandemic and we're now we're now in like year three so the dust the dust is now the dust is now you know starting to gain sentience unless I clean it soon <laughs> so so that's kind of I, I figure it's going to take me probably till June to get this house like clean to the level that I want right so that's where I'm at <laughs> that's uh that's actually a, this, those are good goals I have um Slowly and surely, slowly but surely been moving towards similar goals in my place, but not as, uh, maybe not with as much focus, but it'll get there. Well, <laughs> definitely. I just have to say, I have four cats and a, do- a sheddy dog. So okay. the amount of dust and, and my hair is long and sheds apparently too, because I got, I cleaned <laughs> the seat where I watch TV and it was, <laughs> it was the amount, the amount of hair everywhere in this house is just insane. Oh man. Well, uh, yeah, I have a, I have less of that <laughs> as an issue. <laughs> so. But anyway, um, uh, I have spring fever. I actually, I was reading, um, you know, one of these memes that go around, and I think they talk about this in a lot of different states, but they were saying like the 12 seasons of New Jersey. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of them was full spring, 
which we had just recently. Oh, yeah. and, then, and then we went into uh, second winter or something like that. And, <laughs> you know, but it's like, you know, you get enough, a little taste of like, oh, wow, we can all be outside and be at the park and that kind of thing. And I'm so I'm looking wistfully out the window wanting to be out hiking or something. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, but I think like you, I'm thinking about what I want to plant and it's coming up soon and that sort of stuff. Oh, so no, that's, that's yet another thing. I have to start seeds. <laughs> <laughs> right. Shit. I, for, I kept, I was going to do that. Yes. Like yesterday. And I forgot. So right, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> but the big news for me is that I finally hit level 40 in Pokemon go. All right. Awesome. It, you, that used to be like the, the end game, like level oh. 40 was the highest. Now there's like 10 more, but <laughs> at least I could, uh, it feels like, you know, I don't know. It feels like a, a major. So they they keep moving final. that that final goalpost out to keep you playing. Is that? I think that so. And I happened? think a lot of people wanted to. Well, you could still keep playing at forty anyway, but it was sort of like Shangri La di Da, where you could just do whatever, you know. <laughs> but now there's like more tasks and more levels and stuff. So okay. I don't mind that. But it's uh, but it was you know just I spun a Pokey Stop and I caught a Whalemer and suddenly I was like, woo! So it was very fun. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's that's sort of the the fun aspects of what's going on in life right now. It's uh, other things are just a lot, but it's fine. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> good. That's where I'm at. Awesome. You can catch a new episode of the Leftscape every other Wednesday. Subscribe to our show on our website, leftscape.com, or find us wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you sign up for automatic downloads so you never miss a show. Yes, please do. And follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Leftscape. You can check out our show notes on the website, which features links for you to follow our show guests and to get more information on topics we discuss. And while you're on our site, don't forget to sign up for our monthly-ish newsletter, The Leftscape Lookout, which I might actually be able to do today. <laughs> I'm going to try to put one out for real. <laughs> and, um, and if you want to love us a little bit more, leave us a review. If you're uh, one of us who's still on Facebook, your positive review there could really help us out. Um, love it or hate it, Facebook has been doing a good job of getting our podcast heard more widely. And so we, we really want to encourage that. Yeah. <laughs> Sometime I got to tell you about when I got a 24-hour ban. <laughs> that sounds like a good story. <laughs> and please join us over on Patreon for extra content. Your becoming a patron helps us pay for our website remote recording, and so much more. We want to hire an intern really soon, and your donation will help us keep growing. Join us at any level. Our Backstage Pass supporters at $3 a month receive a thank you package of exclusive swag, access to our special segment, We Should Be Recording This, and early bird access to any events and merch that we will have in the future. And we're going to be having events, damn it. <laughs> well, yes, one of these days people will meet in groups and yes. we'll do stuff. Yes. <laughs> we really appreciate your support at any level at patreon.com slash leftscape. Before we get into uh the news and random facts, I do I do want to tell the, the Facebook story about my 24 hour ban. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> I, I, I think I saw some notes about it, but I never figured out what yes. happened. So um yes. I have a friend that does tambour beating which is like the, it's like haute couture where you're kind of, it's a way to get beading onto fabric and it's really fancy. And she just had created this amazing 
thing out of her st- bead stash. Okay. And I said, I want to kidnap you and make you teach me how to do this. Oh, no. <laughs> and, they, and, they, <laughs> and I got a 24-hour ban for that because I used the word kidnap. And... <laughs> I mean, and, these algorithms and, don't understand content <laughs> at all. Wait, wait, it gets better because it took, she saw the comment before Facebook yanked it and she was going to reply with something funny. And then she saw it disappeared and she thought I got pissed at her. So she was having like an anxiety attack <laughs> because she thought I was mad and deleted my comment. And <laughs> so we straightened that out in a private message exchange, but holy shit. And then... Eventually, I saw the the dialogue box where I could challenge it, and I did. And it was an hour before the twenty four hours were up anyway. But then it put the comment back in <laughs> in the post. So uh, that is <laughs> weird. And I actually saw someone talk about something similar where they said, "I don't know." It was something about it was something about blowing something up, but it was completely facetious and like joking. Yeah. That yeah. anybody would know in context, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, I think they got like a couple days for that. Their auto moderation there. system is getting really ridiculous. <laughs> so, well, welcome back <laughs> from, from, from the clink. <laughs> yeah, I got a lot of work done during that 24 hours. So, that's funny. Um, anyway, uh, now it's uh, time for three random facts in the news. <laughs> and I'm going to be having, I know, I know um, I've been doing a lot of animal facts over the past 118 episodes, <laughs> but now I'm going to have a whole bunch of glitter facts. Okay. This is, this is the first one. Okay. Most of the glitter that adorns America's name brand products is made in one of two places. The first one is in New Jersey, but the second one is also in New Jersey. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So we have the glitter capital. We are the, of the glitter world. capital wow. of the world. That's amazing. I did not know that. What's what towns did you? I don't are know. The, they, are those they're, for future? They're secretive about facts. this. I think it's up north somewhere. Oh, okay. That's... But uh, there will be more glitter facts, so you have to keep tuning in. <laughs> so, okay. There's a lot. There's. I mean, it's just like this whole whole deal about glitter, and and it didn't exist before like 1963. Wow. Which is blowing my mind because it's it to me it's glitter has always it's just such been. a fabulous thing. it's always been in existence <laughs> but it hadn't been until the mid twentieth century so who knew right right uh, <laughs> wow and uh, my second fact for today is that people are more creative in the shower when we take a warm shower we experience an increased dopamine flow and that makes us more creative okay and. I- like to get creative in the shower <laughs> but that, but that might be another topic <laughs> i think well was it uh joe straczynski came up with the whole arc of babylon 5 for a million years before and after the show in the shower so wow. i would have to that's that's the example of like ultra creativity <laughs> that's super cool and people always yeah. talk about singing in the shower which is i never do weirdly because i love to sing but that's not like a thing that happens i think yeah but well the uh, singing the singing in the shower is because the tile and the acoustics in the bathroom are really good because i guess of the reflectivity of the tile you get a nice you get a nice reverb 
I have recorded in the shower, so yeah, or not in the shower, <laughs> but in the bathroom. Yes. So. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, okay, so I'm the one with the animal fact today. <laughs> And the fact is, it's illegal to own just one guinea pig in Switzerland. It's considered animal abuse because they're social beings and they get lonely. Hmm. So that's actually good for people to notice guinea pig <laughs> needs. So I like that. Yeah. And, and if you want even more random facts after these three, uh, I actually found that fact in a Cosmopolitan article, 42 random fun facts to have on hand at your next dinner party. <laughs> so whenever we're doing dinner parties again, you, you could always read that article and break out some extra facts <laughs> once you're done with like our 118 episodes worth of random facts. So <laughs> anyway. <laughs> yeah. Cause sometimes if you're at a dinner party, you don't really want to talk about whale penises or something. Yeah. yeah, That's true. There are, <laughs> there are facts that we mentioned that maybe depends on where you're at. <laughs> I guess it depends on your dinner companions. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right, uh, and now uh, it's time for all the news we can handle. And this first news bit is all over the front page of The Guardian, and I, and our, I don't believe the United States media is really talking about this at all, because it was kind of a surprise. Uh, the big story in The Guardian today, which is Monday, February 21st, is about the Credit Suisse banking leak. And uh, there are like five or six articles uh, in, the, in The Guardian about who has accounts there and who may be avoiding taxes. When an anonymous source leaked the Credit Suisse data to uh, Germany's largest broadsheet newspaper, which I am not even going to try to pronounce because I'm going to completely mangle it um they knew exactly what they were doing it was not a dump of data on the dark net or a sale to the highest bidder the recipients of the leak frank frederick obermeyer and bastian obermeyer are the award-winning investigative reporters behind the massive offshore offshore leaks that led to the panama and paradise papers so they they knew exactly who to send this information to and in leaking the data to them the source appears to have made a moral choice to circumvent what they said were Switzerland's immoral banking secrecy laws. Wow. Uh, months of painstaking reporting have unearthed evidence that Credit Suisse had clients involved in torture, drug trafficking, money laundering, and corruption. Some were allowed to open bank accounts years after they had been convicted for serious financial crimes. And I know not a whole lot has happened with either the Panama or the Paradise Papers, except I know that one reporter got killed um, that might have, it was suspicious death after the Panama Papers were released. So we kind of, I kind of think, you know, if you want to do the conspiracy thing, that it, that, that is not a unrelated death on that mm -hmm. one reporter. But I am really hoping that governments are going to sit up and take notice of this stuff and actually, you know, start proceedings to go get these people. <laughs> that mm -hmm. would be, I would like that. So go look at The Guardian, and I'm sure those articles will still be there. We have, we'll have links. But this has gotten shut out of the American news by, I guess, the imminent crap that russia is doing to ukraine now 
Yeah, it's so weird that when there's so much news and so much intense and important news that you can't even like I this was not you're right this was not on my radar at all so either just yeah. hasn't been reported or just couldn't stay in my head but I don't think I heard it I think it's no I think it, so it's thank you. I think it got overshadowed with with other things because I know I know the stock market took like a big hit yesterday because of the Ukraine news mm. and you know everybody's expecting there's going to be a war but I uh, you know that's that's the big news and in the mainstream media, so that's why I didn't really want to get into that. But sure, uh, sure. I mean, speaking of Ukraine, I was going to at least mention it because it is yeah. the it's the yeah, thing, yeah. and I feel. I mean, I I feel like I don't know a huge amount about it yet, but I do understand that one of the things that it's like a brinksmanship thing, you know, and no one oh, yeah. was sort of on bated breath to see what Putin is going to do or whatever. And one of the things is that he does not want Ukraine in, mem in NATO, mem to yeah. have NATO membership and wants like a guarantee that they won't be. And NATO is not willing to do that. And it's, um, it's just a, it's just a whole scary thing. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and I know that the U.S., or at least um, I know Kamala Harris came out and said that there will be major, major sanctions if Russia attacks Ukraine. Um, and there's been some skirmishes. I think there's been like stuff happening on the border, but it's yes, not. Yes, there's stuff happening on the border. And Ukraine also said that Russia is going to do, they're expecting Russia to try to pull a false flag operation to justify invading. Right. Again, more. I mean, they're still in Ukraine because they're in Crimea. You know, I don't think Ukraine right, officially said, no, you can't, you can have it. I don't think that happened. No, so. I so. Well, so yeah, I mean, it's something that I I just want to learn more about and be on, uh, I don't know, just aware of. I to recommend a, a podcast that I like to listen <laughs> to is Pod Save the World, and they will talk much in much more depth about this topic for sure. So that's one that I like to try to at least, even if I'm not super well-versed on like all world politics, like that is a good hit of mm. getting, getting some knowledge on stuff. So yeah, yeah I'm yeah. going to check it out. So anyway. I have a, another thing from Europe, the capital of Belgium is Brussels and they commissioned a group of historian architects and other specialists to offer options for what to do with a bronze statue of King Leopold II in the city capital after the BLM protests there in 2020. And I didn't know that there were BLM protests in, in Belgium in 2020, and, and that was an interesting thing. And one of the options is to have the statue melted down. They, they, these, these people came out with like a 295-page document about what to do with these problematic statues that they have in the country and, and in, the, in the capital specifically. One of the options is to have the statue melted down and turned into a monument to the millions who died during King Leopold's brutal rule of the Belgian Congo and other victims of colonialism. And the second scenario is to create an open air park to house that statue along with other controversial monuments to figures of the colonial past. Like as a, I think, I think kind of that was also 
suggested to do in the United States to to move all of the problematic Confederate statues like to a museum ish location for mm-hmm. you know historical learning purposes or whatever. But the final decision about how to decolonize the public spaces in the Belgian capital will be up to the government because I guess they're the ones that own the land where that statue is. Okay. So, wow. Well, so, the idea of being able to learn about colonial past would be a good thing, which I'm not sure we're leaning toward in the United <laughs> States, which is weird. But, uh, uh, well, but I mean, yeah. whatever they decide, it's it's good to see see it being confronted. Yeah, and and it's also you know we're so at least for me I'm so wrapped up in American history and and the shit that we did that was that was terrible i I don't know what else to call it that i forget that europe also has similar you know we'd say well you always think when you're listing about like the slavery thing and and how there are there is an argument to be made that the reason that we had the revolutionary war in the first place was to keep chattel slavery as an institution in this country because the British were getting rid of it mm-hmm. at this at the, around that time. And you forget that the rest of Europe was also busy carving up Africa for their own financial gains. And yeah. you know, and that's not something that we really we don't we don't talk about that a lot in school. And and it's not something that that I know I wasn't really looking to learn about or even so it's like when i when i heard about the protests the black lives matter protests in in belgium that were going on in 2020 i thought it was only in solidarity with you know with the black people in the united states but no they've got their they have their own baggage that they need to address which oh yeah which it didn't hit me until just now so you know Yeah, it's good to learn about. That would actually be really good history to look at what was happening around the world in that same time frame, you know, because yeah. we've, it was so consuming here, you know, and that <laughs> I'm sure that there's so much, so much to know about the world, you know. Yeah, and, too, that, so. and that, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what uh, our Patreon this month is going to be talking about some of this uh some of the the suppression of teaching history to the the cur- the current crop of children yes and so tune into that <laughs> yes please do oh boy so here's a news item that i was not sure i should mention but it's fascinating to me <laughs> so apparently there was a priest in arizona who Arizona? Yeah. Yeah, in Arizona, in, in Catholic Diocese of Phoenix, who apparently um, used a wrong word for many years when baptizing people. And those, all those baptisms have been declared not valid. So <laughs> okay. you're I, supposed to say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he said, we, for whatever <laughs> reason. And I guess... I'm not sure how it came out that he got, he got it wrong, but apparently he did. And people are, you know, I'm not, see, I don't want to make fun of 
people's religion. I'm, that's not my intention, but it's it's. I I'll do it. <laughs> well, I, no, I won't. I'm just no. I mean, the point, the thing, the thing that I feel about is that I'm so used to an eclectic way of being in in our spirituality, and that and it's something that we kind of create together. That yeah. I forget how how a lot of things aren't that way and so but anyway this is it's caused a real problem because people at least last i heard they're not sure if their marriages are valid because if they were baptized incorrectly and then they weren't truly catholic then what they weren't really married in the catholic church and that so those things are like people have to go i think they're oh trying to God. redo things and that's and insane it's it's um i'm sorry it, it's saying we instead of i negates the entire spell is what i'm hearing and then and then it's like the domino effect because you haven't done this one sacrament that the any subsequent sacraments don't count that's what it's seeming like but i think that the verdict was they're not sure about the other things that counted after but that but it does seem to be a problem and i hope i hope that people get it resolved in their conscious consciousnesses or well, what about the people that have died since then because they're they're not going to go to heaven right according to their dogma it might maybe they're in limbo i don't know but there's probably something to do for them but i don't know what it is but anyway it was it was just a i guess for me it's a uh it's a cultural curiosity because i so don't function in this world that it just was uh <laughs> I don't know. It's just, it's it's strange, and I hope that people find peace, however they need to find peace around it. So that's what I'm going to say. Okay. <laughs> and what's else on the list? Oh, so this is actually a cool thing. The third person ever has been declared cured of HIV. Oh wow! So that's really cool. This is the first two were men, I believe white men, and this is a mixed race woman. And they used a new transplant method involving umbilical cord blood that hmm. opens up the possibility of curing more people of diverse racial backgrounds, because I think that they've been trying to match stem cells. And, you know, whenever you do any sort of transplant, you have to match as closely as possible. And I, right. and I think race in this case becomes important just because of people's backgrounds. I don't know. You know, it's weird. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how this works, but at any rate, <laughs> there, I think as always, there's not been as much research for women or people of color and they try to be very specific with race when it comes to these kinds of matches. And so hmm. for people of mixed race, it's been more of a challenge apparently. But let's see. So cord blood is more widely available than adult stem cells used in bone marrow transplants that cured the previous two patients. And it does oh. not need to be matched as closely to the recipient. Okay. So that's okay. how that goes. Most donors in registries are of Caucasian origin. So allowing for only a partial match has the potential to cure dozens of Americans who have both mm. HIV and cancer each year. And this oh, wow. woman also had leukemia and was receiving cord blood to treat cancer. So this was this HIV cure was sort of an aside because they were using it for some other purpose. That's what it seems like. It came it came from a partially matched donor instead of the typical practice of finding a bone marrow donor of similar race and ethnicity to the patients. So it was like a partial match. 
and she received blood from a close relative also to give her oh. body temporary immune defenses while the transplant took. So I guess, yeah, it seems like they were working on the one thing and, um, and it accidentally cured the other thing. Yeah, this new case marks a significant step forward in developing huh. a cure for HIV, the That's researcher said. Cool. So that is, yeah, it's, uh, I definitely want to read this more thoroughly too, but it sounds like a good step. Like it was hard, it was hard for me to believe when they first said like they, it was a cure. Like the first, I remember hearing about the first one. I was like, that's amazing. And I hope so. I hope it's not just a, <laughs> what it looks like right now or something, but it seems like those have those stuck and we've got a third one. So that's really promising. Oh, it is. And, and it, and they're, and they're working on vaccine too. That seems and it, getting yeah. closer. That's prep, right? Isn't that uh, the vaccine? Uh, prep is not considered a vaccine. I don't oh, think. Okay. But there's, but there's something in the, in the works that they're saying is getting closer to reality. Yeah. And it just, I just get, a little frustrated because if they had started working on this, you know, 40 years ago, we'd be there already. Yep. So, well, yep. better late than never, I guess. <laughs> yes. I think, I think that's all the news we're going to I think that, on that note, yeah, let's, that's, that's it. <laughs> This podcast is sponsored by Conspiracy of the Month. Have you grown bored or complacent with the quality of conspiracy theories being shared on social media? Have you thought about floating some theories of your own but don't know where to start? Well, we have the monthly subscription box for you. Conspiracy of the Month will send you a curated box chock full of deepfake video clips, pre-written tweets, and hashtags that would make any Russian troll farm green with envy. Share with your friends, enemies, frenemies, and soon-to-be estranged family members. Sign up for your monthly subscription box by leaving a bag of cash in Locker 2016 at the Port Authority bus station in Manhattan. And now, back to our podcast. And welcome to the Ikigai segment where uh, we talk about Ikigai. And then it's a really terrible explanation. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> ikigai is is a Japanese word that I guess loosely translated is a reason for living or reason for existence kind of thing. And I had originally seen the Venn diagram, which has been debunked by actual Japanese people. Uh, so, so the West took this concept and you know screwed around with it. And, uh, and simplified I think, it a lot, it seems like. Well, it's not just simplified. They really, it, it's because it's like not about any of those four things. It's not about making money. It's not about, uh, <laughs> it's not, it's not that it's, right, right. it is a, it is a path to enjoying, you know, being happy with your life and what you're doing on a daily basis kind of thing. And, and I started reading stuff by Ken Moji, who is Japanese, and he's a, a Japanese neuroscientist, uh, who, I guess, basically said, you know, that this is the West does not understand what Ikigai is. And he's trying to explain it for us Westerners to figure out what 
<laughs> what it actually is and to actually do something. And, and so I'm happy I, to go on the journey of trying to figure it out. Yeah. And hear you, <laughs> with you hearing you try to figure it out too. Because yeah. it's, and I, I, I like that we went through the whole beginning part of it, but knowing it's not really accurate. Yeah. I mean, I mean, what we were talking about before is not terrible. You know, yeah, I mean, if you can, if you can, <laughs> if you can, you know, do what you love and make money at it, that's great, but that's not Ikigai. So anyway, um, and I think we kind of talked about it in the last Ikigai segment. I don't remember what episode that was. Sorry, guys. It's probably five episodes ago, I guess. So that would make it 112 or something around something there. Like but that. yeah. So I believe I talked about what the five pillars of Ikigai were in the last show or the last time I talked about this. Mm -hmm. And they are, the first one is starting small. Number two is releasing yourself. Three is harmony and sustainability. Four is the joy of small things. And five is being in the here and now. So uh, those are the five pillars of Ikigai. And it honestly sounds way more Zen than, you know, than being getting paid for what you like to do and, <laughs> and, you know, doing all that, that, that. Those other four things that, that I, that I had originally thought was Ikigai. Hmm. So I guess today we're going to start, we'll talk about starting, what does starting small mean? And in the, the one book I have, which is called, Awakening Your Ikigai by Ken Moji. He really does like to bring in, in the starting small. He talks about waking up early and doing things, you know, early in the morning. And, um, and I know that doesn't always work for everybody. And I, and I've been reading things where, you know, humans are actually the human population. There are people who are much more attuned to being up at night, for example. And, and, and uh, some people are thinking this is because, you know, in the distant past, when we were hunting and gathering, um, we needed people to be up to kind of watch the community to make sure lions don't come in and eat us all or tigers, you know, that kind of thing. So it, it made sense that, that there would be some people who would naturally prefer to be up at night and some people would be up in the daytime. So you get this 24 hour coverage of the community to keep it safe. So, mm -hmm. and there's uh, always the two, the, the two periods of sleep too, which is more like how I actually sleep now. Oh yeah. 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 You I, know? I've been, I haven't really read about that, but I know there's a bunch of cultures. I know is it, it, is it like, for example, I think, is it Spain and Italy? They do the afternoon siesta. Mm -hmm. kind of during because it's the hottest part of the day and nobody wants to be outside doing anything so they they take like a nap in the afternoon and then they're up in the evening and they're doing right. things and it goes late at night but now i don't do that to sleep thing um i got i got locked into uh the normal uh american <laughs> right <laughs> the normal american <laughs> thing um but i you know, and I used to be, uh, I guess, a night owl, you know, but definitely in my musician days, because you can't be up early in the morning when you're getting home from a gig at 3 a.m. <laughs> so, yeah, or you can, and you just don't well, sleep enough. I've done that. You're not going to be that <laughs> that productive the next day at work. <laughs> right, right. Um, so, so the starting small is about 
is it about getting up early to accomplish something that you yeah. had? Yeah, it's it's getting up early. Before? It's getting up early to accomplish something, and then and it's and it's also start. You know, you just do a little thing. You don't have to build the whole house at once. You you know it. You're taking little steps to get to where you want to go. And I like I, I actually I like getting up. I get up at uh, well I get up before dawn right now, which is an issue because uh, getting up in the dark is hard, but. I do love to watch the sunrise mm. and, and I do feel like I get, and it could be because most of the rest of everybody else is still sleeping. You know, if you don't have to be to work to nine, you usually get up like eight, seven, eight o'clock, something like that. I'm getting up, you know, between five and six mm. and you have that time and, and, the animals are waking up and the sun is coming up and it's starting to get light, but you also, have like this quiet freedom to kind of do whatever you want because nobody's up <laughs> and you're not disturbing anybody and you can kind of just do whatever. And uh, that's a nice feeling. It's, it's, I, it's why I used to, when I worked in an office, I would get in like at seven because I liked working. I like getting out at three, but I get in there at seven and I get so much done between seven and nine between, you know, when everybody else shows up. And then, and that's when, you know, we were all talking about the TV shows we watched the night before, whatever sports happened and, and, you know, from nine to 11, you're not getting anything done because right. everybody's socializing. So I would get most of my work done, like from seven to nine in the morning. And, uh, and it didn't hurt if you were also having to coordinate with people in Europe because seven in the morning for us is like three in the afternoon for London or, or something like that. It's, I mean, yeah. it's a little early. I think something. it's lunchtime it's in London. Or one, yeah. It was like three in the afternoon in Germany or something. I, I don't remember now, but yep, but yep. it was nice to be able to actually like communicate in real time with these people instead of throwing emails back and forth that don't get answered for 12 hours. So, right, right. You know. Well, I, I'm curious in terms of, so, so now you're saying that Ikigai is, um, it's a it's a different kind of balance than what we were talking about. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So what would be the kinds of goals you think that they're talking about? Because it's probably not financial goals. Like we keep oh, no. sort of going back to that, like, oh, well, we want to achieve this thing, this big thing. Like that's kind right. of like a very American way of thinking. <laughs> totally. Yes. You know, um, I think it's this starting small. It's also related to you know, the reason you get up in the morning and it's not because your bladder is full, which is actually <laughs> a lot of reasons why I get out of bed at a specific time. because It's like the bladder is full. As you get older, you'll notice that happens more frequently. I just throwing that out for all of you young people out there listening to me. Um, <laughs> you old people to who are to. listening to me and already know about this. Um, but you know, having, having a reason that you want to get up and get started with your day because you're looking forward to doing something, whatever that is, mm -hmm. that is, that is the small step to take for a lot of people right now, because of the last six years, <laughs> 
you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of situational depression happening. And, and when you're depressed, you don't really want to get out of bed, you know? So if you can think of a reason that would give you the impetus to just want to get out of bed in the morning, that is, that's your small step. And, and for some people that could be a huge step. It's not necessarily a small step. I have been in a place where that that felt like a huge step, and it and it's sort of a lot of mornings. I would say, or a lot of whenever during the day, I would say this is one day. I'm one day. I'm going to just get up and do things differently, mm. and I couldn't even really quantify exactly what that was, but I just felt like I need to have some type of breakthrough. Okay. And I, I would sort of, it's so hard to feel, it's like feeling like you, you want to feel, feeling like there's a lid on life mm. and I'm sort of like packed in and I can't really quite see or get to this next sort of phase or something, but I know that I need to do it. And one day I'm just going to do it, do something different and it's going to shift things, you know? And it's, that's been, that was a, a long time like that. And it felt like, yeah, it felt like not, it felt like being lost in some ways and knowing that there's a next step, but just not understanding what it is. And, 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 but I would think through, I would sort of go through that play in my mind that I can, something new some i will do a different i will do it, it differently one day and there'll be a there'll be a shift and i think sometimes just i can't even say what the thing was that caused it but sometimes it's just like finding a new appreciation for music that i loved or that i hadn't thought about in a long time or just deciding to get up and take a walk first thing as opposed to going on twitter or whatever you know what i mean yeah and that, I think sometimes those tiny little steps can suddenly open up. Yeah. Something big. Yeah, yeah. You know? That's what it what it and has I, felt like for me. Yeah, I think I think that that certainly could start with the that could fold into the starting small category concept. Mm-hmm. I mean, if that's all you're doing is just getting up early and and starting your day early. Um, I don't know. For me, I, I think a lot of this, like this whole Ikigai concept, I think a lot of it is related to uh, being in flow, you know, mm-hmm. when you're creating and you're just there and, and it, cause it, that's all very here and now and an immediate kind of a, a sensation, a mental process. And that's actually, thank you for the term, because that's what I'm trying to get at. I think it's like finding, there's like one little piece that will create that feeling of flow. Right. And sometimes my, I'm, I, I have felt stalled around knowing what that is, but sometimes okay. just tinkering and making little changes, even if it's scary or even if it mm-hmm. doesn't, even if it seems inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. Eventually yeah. those come around. Yeah. You know? I, I find, I find I was actually in flow yesterday when I was making uh, magnets for the upcoming heliosphere convention uh next month science fiction convention in piscataway new jersey (laughs) oh that's right 
You told me that I have to yeah. keep that on my radar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and which I'll be going to. And it was just, I, I hadn't really planned on making 15 separate drawings, but I was, I, I, it's also, I think I got to a certain point in my uh, rendering skills because I was, I did a bunch of fan art. I did uh, 15 characters from Futurama. Oh, and well. they all came out really good, and I'm really happy. <laughs> so they, <laughs> I, 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 you know, I never would, I, you know, I could kind of draw Bender, but you know, that's just like a robots are easy because I draw robots all day. Um, yeah. But you know, I, your robots. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> they kind of look like Bender, but <laughs> but not. But it was really nice to just sit there and just do all of this, and and. And I wasn't listening to music. Actually, for some of it, I wasn't listening to anything. And then I was listening to the podcast that you asked me to listen to about what we're going to talk about on Patreon. And that was actually not relaxing at all. But <laughs> right. <laughs> but I managed. I, I, I feel like I still stayed in flow. I don't know. You can get into flow or a meditative state. Like I know I do it during if I'm doing my finger exercises on the piano. Hmm. I just sort of trance out and do them. And, and that's also a nice, that's nice when it happens, when you can kind of just let your conscious mind just shut that off for a minute and just do the thing. I don't know. So we're starting small with this Ikigai segment too. So, <laughs> yeah, I think it is an exploration and I'm, I, I'm appreciating it. So thank yeah. You. And I, and I think it's, it's definitely more of a, a frame of mind or a way of being rather than figuring out your career. And I'm not saying that the other thing is wrong. I mean, it's great if you can do what you love and get paid for it and it, it helps the world or the community and, and, uh, and the other, the fourth, there's always, there's, I always remember three of them. And, and the thing that you're good at. Yeah. The thing, well, yeah, you, I, you would think you would be good at, doing what you love not necessarily yeah i guess <laughs> i guess but yeah it's i mean that stuff is all very it's not a bad thing to to pursue either but you can't call it ikigai you got to call it something else career goals i don't know <laughs> right <laughs> Hi, this is Matt Bird, DJ, musician, and royalty analyst, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I'm very happy to welcome back to The Leftscape, Helena Brook. Helena Brook practices as a therapist in the Phoenix area and can often be found doing advocacy for clients and the therapy professions with like-minded comrades, sometimes while crafting. As a counselor and advocate, she has a passion for supporting clients and clinicians alike in moving past relational ruptures and distressing experiences. We spoke with Helena just about a year ago on episode 97, Therapy, Activism, and Reclaiming Freedom. So welcome back, Helena. Thanks so much, Robin. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad to have you for sure. It's always great talking with you. So 
this is going to be a little bit of a different interview in the in the fact that I really would like you to guide the conversation a bit more than my questions because you know when you got in touch you said you wanted to talk about advocating for the passage of bills uh, mostly in Arizona as someone who is not a lobbyist and this is something I know very little about and would love to learn so I know one of the things you mentioned is the interstate compact do you want to tell us about that or is that the yeah. place to start yeah I'd love to jump into that but I feel like um I guess since we last spoke was I was I in a board position with the Arizona Counseling Association back then? What month was that? That was, was it like February, right? 21? It was March of 21. Okay. So it was just, yeah, it was okay. five a year. So I think I might've just joined the board. Um, so I feel like I would be remiss not to say that, um, you know, while I know that like, this is the Leftscape podcast, I just want to um, put out there, because um, I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of um, colleagues hear this, that, that my position at this point, because I'm the president-elect of the Arizona Counseling Association, is specifically whatever's in the best interest of colleagues and whatever's in the best interest of the clients that we serve. And so it's not it's not really a partisan position. And so I just wanted to I just wanted to throw that out there real quick in case anybody was wondering, because pretty much when we're in leadership, we kind of we kind of stick to that stuff. And usually it's pretty aligned with my personal values, which I probably won't talk about, but typically whatever is for the client's best interest in the end and the profession itself is, is what we push for. And so the compact is part of that. So yeah, hope that was okay. Thank you for all that. No, absolutely. Thank (laughs) you for all that. And, and one of the things that I want people to know too, is that we, you know, are welcoming of people of all political persuasions and it's good to, it's good to have an interchange about all this. Yeah. So that's good. Awesome. Yeah. And I mean, like, I just really appreciate you giving us the opportunity, Robin, because like, especially since our association does not have a paid lobbyist, you know, you and I have known each other since what, 2006 or something in sort of activism circles, right? And so this is sort of my first run at trying to help get a bill through. And I think there's, there's been a big learning experience, but also I'm hoping that your listeners can can get both an understanding of why interstate compacts are important and also like why it sometimes really sucks when you're just trying to get things done grassroots style and you don't have someone who you can pay to go do your bidding, even if you have like a really beautiful bill that everybody likes. Okay. So would you so, explain the, the, what the bill, the basic of the yeah, thing about the bill just to start? Yeah. yeah. So, so an interstate yeah. compact is a lot of your listeners would probably know kind of that if you are seeing a, a therapist or a counselor in the state you're in and you leave the state to travel or you move or something like that, your counselor might not be able to see you. Depends which state it is. And it's so different from state to state. I think if my client goes to Florida up to 15 times a year, I can I can still have a virtual session with them. But if my client goes to New Jersey, it might be a totally different story. Um, forget it with California. You know, so it's it's kind of chaotic, right? And so just some practical reasons that that's a problem is like, you know, if, if someone has had really bad trauma and they finally, you know, warmed up and trust a therapist and feel safe and they're making progress and then they have to move, they shouldn't have to start over, right? But, you know, continuity would be really, really great for that. If people are, you know, flying home or to see family for the holidays or because someone's fallen ill, having your therapist in your corner so you can schedule an appointment and just navigate those things together would be life-changing. And even the Department of Defense 
wants us to have this compact because if a counselor's uh, partner is in the military and they get moved and stationed in another state and so the family has to move, depending what state it is, it could take like a year for somebody's license to transfer over. And so that's half of a family's livelihood. And that's a counselor's ability to be able to serve the public that's just completely gone during those transitions. You know, and, and, and there, are, there are experts in various treatment modalities, um, people who want to collaborate with each other all across the country. And the fact that, you know, my clinical supervisor, for example, runs a really incredible strength-based practice for people who are neurodivergent. So mostly you think of like um, autism, ADHD, but also all sorts of learning disabilities, giftedness, highly sensitive people. And, and what he offers is super rare. And so he gets calls all the time from people out of state wanting services with people who are trained the way that his practice sort of works. And they can't have access to that. He has to say no to these people all the time. People who want to collaborate and coordinate care, if somebody goes out of state for intensive inpatient treatment somewhere and they want to come home and continue, you know, working with that therapist as they taper off of, you know, the treatment that they've been having, they can't, there's a, it just, it's, it's not just for counselors to be able to market our services. It's mostly so that clients can have continuity so that especially people who travel for work, like traveling nurses or people who drive, um, you know, commercial trucks. A lot of people have barriers to care enough as it is. And this compact would really alleviate that, at least for the states who opt in. Sure. So basically you're saying like if the person travels out of state and happens to be in another state while the session would happen, mm-hmm. that would not be allowed. Yeah. So like we could get okay. in trouble for, for providing that service, wow, even though okay. Yeah, and stuff that you wouldn't think of, and um, in the age of Zoom, that seems completely <laughs> Abs- absurd. Bizarre. Yeah, yeah, completely absurd. And the fact is that you know, licensure requirements and things like that vary from state to state a little bit, and some some ethical obligations vary a little bit. But most of the bones of it are pretty solid. And so, prior to COVID hitting the psychologists got a compact, and I think like twenty six states are participating. And the way compacts work is that you know. If state A and state B are both involved, then you can see clients in each other's states. If state C hasn't signed on, then like it's still they're kind of separate. So states kind of have to opt in. With everything with COVID and stuff, and this was in the works for a while too, the American uh, Counseling Association decided to try to push a compact through and has the help of the National Center for Interstate Compacts, which is like a team of lawyers and they're super helpful. Um, And because this has such... I guess it lands really well with people who are into like free market and competition and all of that stuff. You know, they started pitching it more in conservative states first off. So last year, the first two states got the compact. So like Georgia and Maryland, right? So they're in, we need eight more states in order for it to sort of be be in effect for the states that do opt in. But we want to have as much engagement as possible. And so right now, just to illustrate, let's see, I think it's uh, Maine, Um, New Hampshire, Virginia, North Carolina, West Virginia, Ohio, Indiana, Tennessee, Kentucky, Alabama, Mississippi, Florida, Iowa, Nebraska, Wyoming, and Colorado have pending legislation. And it would have been Arizona as well, but I can get to that. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So you can see like those are kind of a little more conservative leaning states, right? For the most part. 
Yeah, a bunch of them are for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maryland, maybe not so much. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so we, when we found out that this thing kind of had liftoff, we were uh, sort of planning our strategy and trying to approach the state legislature for it because the state legislature has to pass it. This isn't like a federal thing. And so with the American Counseling Association and sort of like, a connection with our, our state regulatory board who like, they don't lobby for things, but our director is really great. And she provides like education about how this stuff works. And, you know, we kind of, we were like, okay, we're good. Like they don't object to it. Um, it wouldn't create some sort of crazy workload for them. And um, we had a legislator who we worked really, really hard. We thought that we had someone and I'm not going to name names. I'm not going to name parties, but we thought we had it all sewn up in the fall. She met with us. Like we got a yes. The the draft of the bill sort of went through legislative council, which is the people who draft bills here. So kind of they took the national one. They they drafted it. It went in a folder. It had an it had like a folder number. It had a drafter name. All these boring things. And we expected come January that like any day once the legislative session started, like we'd have a bill number and we could just do a little bit of like informal praise and like show up for it. And we were good. We thought we were home free. Right. That's where However. it gets crazy. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> dun, 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 you know, so. <laughs> right. Yeah. So it's January and, you know, we're looking at all the different bills that are dropping and we're like, oh, like, you know, this community is getting attacked and this community is getting attacked and maybe this cool thing is happening, but we're watching them and we're like, where's our, where's our bill number guys? Like who, who's seen the bill number? And, you know, we're scrolling through nothing and then nothing and nothing. And finally our, our regulatory board director reached out. And again, she's not like, she's not a lobbyist. She doesn't, they don't take a position on this stuff, but you know, they kind of help with education and things like that. And I messaged her and I said, do we have a number? And she's like, I don't, don't see a number. And then, you know, ultimately this Senator who, who had agreed to sponsor it got a message back saying that, oh, you know, she's, she's going, you know, in some other directions and she has some other things on her plate pretty much um, is, is what we got. And we didn't get any more details mm-hmm. than that. And so we were like, what happened? And so we're scrambling in the 11th hour, trying to find someone making appointments at the house, making appointments at the state Senate, trying to figure out who, who can maybe take this on and between people running for Congress and people not wanting to offend the first Senator, we really didn't get lift off. Right. So we were all set to cut our losses and then something really weird happened. I don't know if I told you about this part where we got this like I crazy. Don't think so. Okay. So we're getting all these no's and we're like, okay, we're just gonna we're just gonna reassemble for next year and we're not gonna be on the first ten, which kinda sucks because we were really proud of our effort. All of a sudden another bill drops and it's the interstate compact for occupational therapists, right? And so do you mm. know should I explain what that is for people who might not know what an occupational therapist is? Yeah, I think I have a sense of it, but go ahead and right. describe so it. So like, um, so they pretty much like, you know, I work with a lot of people with autism and ADHD and, you know, other stuff having to do with like, you know, whether it's executive function or just like sort of things that things that are a little bit more like concrete process stuff that, you know, occupational therapists are trained to sort of, you know, support clients through. So while we do things like psychotherapy, they do things like sort of help people manage in a more tangible way, the specific goings on in their life or their job or their work, their school, stuff like that. Um, And we work really closely with each other. Like our communities tend to work really well with each other. So I put some feelers out, you know, and I said, hey, like, do you know, 
let's talk to them. Meanwhile, I sent their the text of their bill back to the people at the National Center for Interstate Compacts. And I said, hey, like, you know, can you guys run through this real quick and just like give me the quick and dirty of what's different between our compact and their compact? And, you know, as I'm waiting for people to call me back in the OT world who are in leadership there, I get a notice back from the the interstate compact people. And they were like, listen, like, these are the same bill. It's the same exact bill. 20 some pages. I think it had like 40 words that were different. And the only things that were different were like where it said counselors and the part of the statutes that we're in, you know, instead it said occupational therapists and their board. So it was like, that's all that was different. And it was, and, and it's even sponsored by the same Senator, right? Same sponsor, mm. same bill, same function. We serve many of the same population. And so we're like, what, what the F happened? Right? Like you would be, you would be a little taken <laughs> back, right? I would be skeptical. Yeah. Yes. And we'd worked very hard. I mean, like this is, and this is after having run back and forth the legislature, like on my days off in between clients, like trying to, trying to get this thing, like trying to like put some CPR into this bill. And so I'm like, that's so interesting. I wonder why this one got lift off. Like this one has legs and ours for some reason got dropped at the 11th hour. So you know, I'm, I'm, I'm calling the, the OTs I know. And then they put me in touch with some people in leadership for their organization. And then somebody said, well, you know, none of us really know what's going on. Like our lobbyist is handling it. And I was like, no shit. Oh. Like you guys have a <laughs> lobbyist, you know, and we're all service professionals. Like we, we don't have a ton. We're not like big tobacco or something. We're not like a, you know, or a, or a special interest something, you know, we're not, we're not a pharmaceutical industry. Like we're kind of, it's not like we're rich, right? So right. I was pretty impressed. I was like, we should totally get a budget, you know, side note, you know, get the advocacy committee a, a budget for a lobbyist. But I spoke to their lobbyist, like she called me back and she was like, you know, we've had this locked up since, since the fall, like, you know, like, you know, so I don't know what to tell you pretty much. And so I was like, okay, like I thought we had ours locked up since the fall as well. You know, I wonder what happened and, you know, we couldn't figure it out. My last Hail Mary pass, right, was I, I thought, well, maybe if these bills are so similar, we can get an amendment and we can just have ours kind of nest nicely into their bill. And like, you know, we're all in like Title 32 or whatever it is. And I sent this stuff back to the interstate compact people and the lawyers. They're great. They had this like really fast turnaround. They draft us this amendment and um, for the bill. And like, you know, I gave it, I found a senator who was willing to do it. She was like, if the original senator is okay with a friendly amendment and like, you know, this thing is pretty much, if it's kosher, like we'll do it. So um, I sent in the amendment and I was like, here, we have a draft for you, silver platter. Like, you know, we, we've cut your steak for you. Like, here it is. And we were so close to getting it in. And then um, we found out that our last ditch effort, because again, I'm, I'm not a lobbyist. I don't know how these things work, I guess. I guess it's not considered germane because our amendment would have applied to a different board, like a different profession under a different board. And so even though it felt super similar, it wasn't seen that way. And so like we kind of ended up losing, you know, which, which is inconvenient, but it's like, we learned our lesson, you know, but then I found out that we still have one tiny possibility, which I doubt will happen at this point because we still don't have a lobbyist, but um, there's something called a striker or a strike everything bill where essentially if a bill that failed, like didn't work out, they can pretty much resurrect it by throwing the entire contents of an entirely different bill into it. So like if there's a bill 
that failed that was like, you're only allowed to grow lemon trees in these zip codes in Phoenix, right? And everyone was like, that's dumb. Like, let's not do that. Um, we could just, we could grow our compact in there again, which is, to me, that, that, that sounds completely, it's that, right. that, you've lost me there, but exactly. That's it's so yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. So like, we can't get our amendment into the bill that the occupational therapists have that's exactly the same. But yet, if there's some bill about, you know, road work or pollution or earthworms or lemon trees or like hospitals or whatever, we'd probably be able to get it in there. But the fact is, we still don't have a lobbyist. So we're probably regrouping for next year. But but I want to unpack what all of that kind of means, because a lot of people don't know you know, we know that there's bureaucracy and we know that there's all sorts of pork everywhere. But like, the fact is, I think people, until you've tried to fight for something that feels so logical and that you literally have a comparison where it was like, same sponsor, same bill drafting attorney, same, same content, same, pretty much the same population served, but just different profession. And the only difference is that one has a lobbyist and the other doesn't. It really goes to show you just how little freedom we actually have if you can't pay to play. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. I was just about to ask you that. Like, it, how does how does it relate to freedom specifically? And it's sort uh, of like you don't have the freedom to function in the system that we're given, in a sense. It, it feels exactly like exactly. Yeah. It's like everybody else has a car, and we have a we have a roller skate, you know. And it's really sobering because it's like we sat there and like we worked really hard on this, and there were people that you know, we're really hopeful about this. I mean, I, even some of the staffers at the legislature were hopeful about it. Like one of them confided in me that like, she specifically would have wanted to continue seeing her old therapist if it weren't for the fact that the person moved. Right. Um, I had another story from somebody who like their sister is a traveling nurse and, you know, wasn't able to continue her trauma therapy. There's all sorts of stuff if somebody has, you know, a situation where there's a couple who wants to see a counselor and one of them is out of state, like they can come kind of as a guest to the other person's therapy, but they can't actually have couples therapy if one of them's in a state where the person isn't licensed. So that's, there's no, there's wide support and like no opposition to the bill. And that was the only piece of it that was an issue. And so like just the amount of, practical handicap that that organizations have if you don't pay somebody to go fight for you and like even after checking in with some lobbyist friends i have whether from a conservative local think tank or like a really progressive uh, lobbyist who tends to you know fight for a lot of the organizations that you know we tend to see trying to make big changes here like i've spoken to the, i've i've spoken to attorneys that represent the various political parties like everyone was like, yeah, like, there's nothing wrong with this bill. Like, you know, you, I guess, I guess she had a full plate. Right. And it's like, what do you, what do you do? You know? Right. So, so the lobbyists, do you think it's just that they're getting paid and so they have more time to put in or that people know them and they're familiar with them. And so they just work with them more easily or what, you know, well, what do you think is the, I'm, I mean, honestly, on the ground like, issue? so honestly, like when it comes to trying to lobby for something, you know, we fell on our face a couple of times. Like there are certain things you're not supposed to ask for. It's like, if you don't know the strange customs of a different land, 
you know, Mm -hmm. um, don't ask this person to resurrect a bill that that person killed, or don't ask this person to amend that bill because it'll be seen as hostile. But if you ask this other person, it's okay. Or, you know, just those pieces of it, or these meetings happen at this time on this day of the week. So yeah, insider knowledge would have been great. Um, But I can't imagine that that was all it was because at the end of the day, like we had made some pretty good headway and you know, if, if you're representing your constituents, like you can't expect everyone who lives in your district or your state to, to know all of the ins and outs of everything. It's possible that this lobbyist knew someone. It's possible that they were able to make something else happen behind the scenes for another, for another cause that we didn't know about. I I really don't know. But at the end of the day, the only difference between our, our bill and theirs was that they had a lobbyist and we, didn't. And so whatever, whatever effectiveness the lobbyist had, you know, it, it would have been, I wish we could crack that code, but I honestly think it's just the fact that they have a lobbyist itself, you know, cause we, we really, I mean, we gave it the college try, you know? Right. Right. I mean, I, I, it's great to hear you being so diligent working in the legislative arena. And I, and I, I really hope that you have greater success as, as you go with it, because it's one of those things that, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with the sort of grassroots activist type of yeah. actions and yeah. letter writing and phone calling and all those sorts of things. And it's, yeah. and it's good to really be more specific and focus yeah. on particular bills that way. And I think that that's, that is great work. And well, I, I hope that it becomes easier somehow. And I'm not sure I know the answer <laughs> well, either. You well, know. see, this is the other thing that we didn't we didn't get. It's a lot easier to kill a bill than to bring it to life. Um, and mm. so, what you're talking about, Robin, with like the the phone calls and letters and stuff, like the Arizona Counseling Association has. I mean, we have. It seems like pretty substantial influence when when a bill seems like it's going to really hurt the people that we serve. We send out notices, and like sometimes over a hundred, almost two hundred people will like write in and like you know pass along this information. Hey, this isn't okay. Like, you know, trust us. Like this is going to be really, really bad. And we've killed bills really easily. Like we, we have a, we have a pretty solid track record with that. And I think other advocates and activists in the area do as well. But the problem is that, you know, killing a bill is a lot easier than trying to get one to have liftoff. And especially when you think you're so close and then it doesn't work when you don't have the resources to like send someone in for 40 hours a week for a couple of weeks to get it done, like, you know, everybody's just burning out. And so I think we learned that lesson too, because, you know, I don't know that we've actually tried to pass legislation before as an organization. It's mostly just trying to, trying to avoid really awful things from happening to really vulnerable communities. Yeah. Well, that is incredible work too. So oh. I'm glad that you got to kill the bills yeah. that really were doing harm, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about some other things that sometimes other vulnerable communities have going that like sometimes from one state to another we don't know about or sometimes even within our own states we we might not be aware of. And I, I don't know if you would agree with this, Robin. Like I, I tend to think that legislation and just sort of the way we're governed really tends to benefit the privileged and the typical. So people with power and people who sort of are right in the middle of the bell curve. You know what I mean? I agree. Uh, yeah. Okay. I think that's yeah. sort of a default in, <laughs> right. in our culture. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. It's that kind of like, you know, uh, oftentimes, unfortunately, you know, 
it's like two wolves and a sheep voting for what, or I guess who is going to be eaten for dinner, you know? (laughs) Um, So like some of the things that we've been seeing, like in other States, just sort of trying to figure out where like vulnerable clients are sort of being, you know, in positions where they don't have people standing up for them or they're kind of stuck. It's a lot of, it's a lot of, I guess I would say must versus may like, Putting together a support system for a community is great, but when you force people into it, it's it's a problem. So, like, for example, there are at least at least two states I know, I recently learned about have these registries for um, children who you know, depending on how people identify, autistic children, children on the spectrum, whatever you know, people would how people would name that. Um, and there's a whole discourse on that as well. But North Dakota and New Jersey are the two I know about. And I think there might be a couple others where um, children and young adults who have a diagnosis of autism spectrum disorder, they're required to either register or be registered on this, on this government registry. And like, it freaked me out when I heard about that. Like, that's weird, right? That is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And, And it's like, you know, well, I'm sure somebody thought it was a good idea. They probably were like, oh, well, we don't want to miss giving resources to, you know, any children. But a lot of the resources that are sort of first line we're finding more and more can be really hurtful, you know, like a lot of And time, there's a lot of controversy over how to approach autism. Hugely, sure. hugely. Yeah. And, you know, the problem with having, you know, children and young adults on a government registry like that, they might they might be, they might end up and often do end up in interventions that might be populist, popular, well-funded, but not necessarily supportive for long-term health. And so like, for example, one of the things that like autistic children are often put through is something called planned ignoring. So like if a child is doing something crying or, you know, stimming in a way that the, the adult in charge doesn't like, they'll ignore the child until the child stops. And behaviorally, you'll see the child stop doing the thing because they want, they want, you know, they want some sort of engagement with the adult, right? But over time, ultimately, like, I've worked with people who've had that intervention and other interventions as children who are, you know, when, when they were children growing up with, with, you know, behavioral interventions for autism. And there's a lot of trauma there. There's attachment injuries. There's the idea that if I don't comply, I'm going to get rejected. If I don't do what's told, like I'm not safe, all of that stuff. And, you know, with these registries, it's like, it kind of pushes people into, into situations where they don't necessarily have a choice. And so, so this type of stuff, I mean, like legislation that pushes these mandates like that, it, 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 it's, it's, I've just been learning more and more about it and I'm just like, just shocked, you know? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I right? don't even know how to respond to it. I, honestly, I don't even train my dogs that way. You know what I mean? Like there's not, and the thing is, I know that, I know that there's a lot of disagreement and discourse around that stuff. But the fact is like, when you have legislation that like, it's like may versus must, right? If you have legislation that says like, you know, people may do something sort of, you know, upholding a right, you know, um, you may pursue medical care for, you know, X, Y, Z or whatever. It's different than you must do this, you must do that, right? And 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 what I'm seeing, like a lot of the bills that we're, we've been trying to like shoot down, especially in Arizona, are, are more like the must bills. Like, you know, you must not ban conversion therapy, right? Which that was last year. So we talked about that last year. They went the other way this year and they were trying to say, like they were trying to say that, 
we're not allowed to work with, you know, to support people through like, you know, uh, gender journeys. Right. And that bill, we just, we just recently were able to shut that down. But like, I think yeah, I saw something about that where you, right. you, you like a, a teacher must tell a parent if, Oh yeah. A child. So this is really divergent. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I apologize for my language, but this you one, you can fucking curse right. all you want on our show. Thank you. Okay. Cool. <laughs> so this is, this is one that is really popular in, in some states where they have a very polarized legislature. Um, the idea that if a teacher it, or a janitor or a librarian or anybody in a school overhears a child talking about their gender or or something like that, that, that they must tell the parent, right? So you've got this situation where if a child is, you know, discussing their gender with someone or, or, you know, asking that their friends, you know, choose the, you know, refer to them with the pronoun that feels best or whatever. I think the intention of the bill is to like rat it out to the parents because it's, I, I don't know, morally objectionable to the people who find it morally objectionable, but it's like, there's no, they just, they just want to do it. Cause it's like this populist thing, but it's like, there's no manual for how to have those conversations. There's no manual to discern whether like a child is being, you know, outed that they're being bullied for something. There's no, there's no risk assessment for what happens if you tell a parent something distressing about their kid and then they lash out on the kid. There's no mandate regarding like providing any kind of resources to the child or the teen or the family. And so it's just this like, let's just drop this bomb on parents that, you know, doesn't have any context without any resources. And it's a clusterfuck. I mean, it's like, you're sitting there essentially taking these moments for children, which, you know, adolescence doesn't until you're 26, like in the brain, you're taking these moments for children, where they're trying to figure out who they are in the world, and where their hopes and dreams and their identity might diverge from what's being told to them. And, you know, and a lot of times, like, children just give each other shit or children, you know, are being bullied or like all of these things happening. And, you know, they want teachers who have no training in this whatsoever to go call parents and be like, you know, your child is saying such and such about themselves, like reckless, right? That's incredibly infuriating, honestly. Right. right? So, so what, what, do you have any way to encapsulate what we should, we non-lobbyists should do about any of this? I guess oh, kill God. bills that are, that suck as yeah. much as you can. Show up for, and, and the thing is the legislature does listen when enough people show up to kill something. And, and you need to remember that like, if you see or you get wind of something your legislature is doing that is really shitty, that's going to hurt people, that's ill thought out and just seems like populist as fuck for no reason, um, figure out the organizations that are leading the efforts against it and just sort of do what they're doing because they've got a plan. And so just like go in and be like, how can I help? You know, and it might not be going to the legislature. It might be like one click politics emails or things like that. The other thing is. And those work, you think? Oh, hell yeah. I mean, that's, okay. that's part of how we just killed this other bill related to it was, it was, going to ban gender support services for youth in our state um, and even sending people referrals for it. You know, it was like, it was awful. But, but you also have to remember that like people have this tendency to be like, Oh, this party thinks this and that party thinks that well in our legislature and in a lot of legislatures, like the districts are cut so weirdly and so polar 
that, you know, one party has a stronghold, right? You don't need to go yell at the mountain and try and change everybody's mind in that party. You need to find the people in the dominant party that, you know, actually look at nuance, actually think things through, might be aligned with that party because that's the only way they could get elected in that area or they're there for economic reasons, but the social stuff just really appalls them. There could be any number of reasons target your efforts toward them. Don't don't sit there yelling at people who really are never going to listen to you anyway. And at the end of the day, all of this stuff, it doesn't come down to thousands and thousands of people. It comes down to one person on a committee of eight saying no instead of yes to something really dangerous and really stupid. So like, you know, get wise about it, get smart, like, and also like, you know, find the people who are doing the work so you don't have to reinvent the wheel. That is really good concrete advice. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, (laughs) So one of the things that I wanted to ask you is when you were on our show last time, you were talking about really wanting the the left in this case to reclaim the use of terms like patriotism and freedom. Yeah. Is that something that is a thing that we've done? What do you think is Um, happening with that? You or know, at least put it this way. I know you're you're wanting. We to is more. so big. Like we, we is big. We, we is big. I mean, yeah. Like I guess your your goal was really that you wanted all people to be able to use those terms. Yes. Yeah. Are we? Um, how are we doing with that? Is that a thing well, that's happening? Let's see. Um, and we is big. I know. Yeah, we is so big. I think a little bit. I guess what what we always notice whenever you know there's like a like a, I guess a regime change, you know, it takes a couple years, but like, you know, whichever, whichever people's party is in charge tend to feel a little bit more at ease using terms like patriotism and pride in our nation and stuff like that. And then the side that I guess proverbially, like I'll use quotes like lost has all of those talking points about take this back, take that back, reclaim, like capture the flag or football. And it's like, you know, I, I I think it's a pattern that it's going to kind of go on forever, but I'd like to see, I mean, and then, and then of course, like we've had, like, have we had two Olympics? Like we're since the last time I was on, I think we had like this, the summer one. Uh, And it's weird. They happened because of the delay because of COVID. They seem to be really close in time. Yeah. I think Olympics tend to rally people too. And just like that feel good stuff. At least I've seen it. A little bit you know I don't know I mean what do you think do you think people have been do you think people have been a little freer with their language I see uh attempts at it I don't know that it's I think it feels very yeah. deliberate to me it doesn't feel natural right. yet I like like contrived kind of a little bit yeah yeah because yeah. it's scary to to use terms that have been the meaning of which has been very different or or at least the nuance of which has become very different than what you yourself mean yeah. So that to use that word, you have to be like, but I mean it like this, not like that. It's like there's always some yeah. kind of weird caveat. Yeah, you have so to add a disclaimer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Which is, which is really unfortunate because, you know, words shouldn't have such a weight to them. They shouldn't be, you know, you shouldn't have to defend your, you know, appreciation for or embrace of an idea just because like it, it unfortunately got tethered to a lot of other crappy ideas, you know? Mm, mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast too. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> but it's yeah. really, it's really true. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
we need to wrap up. I just wanted to ask you, I was really curious in the intro, you mentioned that you're doing crafts. So I was wondering what you yeah. are doing while you're planning. Oh, for sure. Major political action. Yeah. And, so that's, and, and uh, advocacy. Yeah. So that's, that's the other thing. Um, a lot of us who do this advocacy and activism work, like we tend to spin out and get exhausted, like, you know, kind of burning bright and then burning out. And so a couple of colleagues and I, at least within the, you know, counseling and other professions, um, a psychologist friend and I have started a craft and connect night. So it's like once a month, it's pretty much our excuse to just like sit down with like paint and like rhinestones and just random stuff and just like kind of talk about where we're at, like check in with each other. And there's not really a schedule where it's not super formal. It's not like it's not therapy, therapy for therapists. And it's not like, you know, it's not supervision. It's just like, Hey, show up this night of the month and, you know, chip in for supplies if you can, but if not, no worries. And let's just sit here and make stuff, you know, and talk about what's on our mind because ultimately when we're so busy fighting for big things, we, we can lose touch of what we need and what each other needs. And so, you know, that kind of keeps us grounded and it's been going a couple months now, I don't know. I think it's, you know, it's been, it's been a nice shift. And I think there's another group starting in the West Valley coming up soon too. So here in Arizona. That sounds great. Sounds yeah. like a, a great way to decompress. <laughs> totally. Totally. So thank you so much. It's been great talking with you and it's been great to have you back. Yeah. Thank you, Robin. I'd, I'd love to come back anytime. And so, so great getting a chance to catch up. You got questions, we got answers. And today's question is from Kristen Houseconnect, and she asks, what is your favorite color and why? The and why kind of trips me up. <laughs> that is interesting. What uh, do you, what's your answer to this one? Oh gosh, I, uh, I don't know that I have a favorite color. I, a lot of my house is blue. But I also really like purple. I don't know. I think, you see, this is like, this is the Monty Python, you know, what is your favorite color? Blue, no yellow. Ah! Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was from a scene from uh, Holy Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Right, right. Don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I will go with blue. I've had blue as my favorite color for most of my life. And, I think it's because I feel relaxed in it when I'm, I mean, I'm, if you, if you, you can't see what, cause this is radio or podcast Dio, um, <laughs> podcast Dio, <laughs> podcast Dio. Um, <laughs> but my room, my office is, has a really dark blue and I actually painted the outside of the house, dark blue, uh, and purple. The purple is the doors and the trim. But it's a calming color, and I like it for that reason. To contrast with, I had a a room in in my pro, uh, two houses ago that had a very deep red as the base color, and it was really it wasn't even the walls; it was like the furniture, like the couch and the rug, and and the trim was red, and I think the doors are red too to match. But every fight I had with my ex in that house started in that room. Hmm. 
So I, I think the red color had something to do with that. It so literally um, seeing red made you well. It, like, it's an arousing color, and you know I had studied color and psycho the psychology of color, you know, and all mm -hmm. this other stuff. So you know that was uh, that was an interesting thing, and I never never will have a red room again. So <laughs> for that reason, interesting. And, yeah. So blue, and you know because okay. it's pretty. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So I, my, my favorite color forever has always been purple. And why? I, I don't know. I mean, people say it's, it's like a royal color. Some people say it's like a deeply spiritual color. If you're, if you're like into like the chakra system or whatever. I, I, I don't know. It's just, it's always been comforting and wonderful. And I just love it. And interestingly though, I would say that teal has really started to equal it or close mm. to in recent okay. years. So I really love both of those. And I don't know why. And it's interesting to feel that shift. That's I enjoy cool. both of those colors as well. And and I'm going to be the one to say, we when we were all in, in a coven together with uh, us and other a whole bunch of other people, one of our coven mates got married. And we did not discuss our wardrobe with each other ahead of time. I remember this picture you're talking about <laughs> in purple and teal. All that, of us, the entire coven. So I, we looked really great as a group. <laughs> that is that is such a great photo. I oh my gosh, I love that. Uh, wow. We should find. I should dig that up and put that on the website for this episode. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, if people are, I don't know, I guess everyone was comfortable with that, I, I think, in that photo, um, but anyway, yeah, but, but it was, it was really impressive that we all gravitated to those two colors. Right. That was neat. Oh, man. But, but yeah, and interestingly, I have a, a, a red in my kitchen, so I'm going to be paying attention now to see if I get into fights in the kitchen. <laughs> Well, I don't think so. But orange we'll is supposed to um, enhance your appetite, and green is supposed to suppress it. Right. Yeah, I've thought about that too. Like, make it more chill, so I'm like relaxed about food stuff. But yeah. it doesn't matter. I mean, I like how it looks, but it's going to change anyway because I need to change everything in the house because <laughs> that's what I do. But anyway, yeah, purple. So okay, <laughs> there you go. I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy. And on Discord and in the subgenius world, if you're in that weirdness, uh, <laughs> you can uh, find me at, as Andrew Genus. And I'm Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Twitter at Wendy Designs, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. And on Discord, I'm there as Voxelman, but I'm I haven't You're not there that much. Discord right? like in two months, so. <laughs> but remember, you can always reach out to us on social media at Leftscape. Send us your questions, and we might answer it on an upcoming show. So until next time, be well. Start small. And keep left.
You've been listening to the Leftscape Podcast. Sound engineering by Wendy Sheridan. Show notes by Robin Renee. Fake sponsor messages by Ariel Sheridan. Web hosting by InMotion. Remote recording by Squadcast. If you like what you hear, please share it with your friends. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Leftscape. Become a patron of our show for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash Leftscape. Thanks for listening.